Well, good morning, Central. It's great to be with you. I'm uh, James Peoples, as was said, and uh, uh, I'm your missionary with the North American Mission Board. And so right off the bat, I want you to hear, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your faithful giving. Uh, and it is so good to be uh, back at Central again. Some of the connections, uh, some of you may not know, uh, I was uh, Ethan and Anna's pastor uh, for most all of their growing up uh, uh, years. I served right here uh, in Florida as pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in Keystone Heights up near Gainesville. Uh, pastored that same church for 23 and a half years. And then for the last about four years now, I've served uh, with the North American Mission Board. So uh, my role is Director of Sin Network Florida. That's the church planting partnership of the Florida Baptist Convention and the North American Mission Board to come alongside churches to help them plant churches. To help churches plant churches, we want to come alongside and, and help. I want to say thank you to you, Central, for how involved you are in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, with the International Mission Board, your church is so faithful to give and pray. And, and I know at the end of the service today, we'll be celebrating a, a, just a, a wonderful um, uh, amount that you guys are giving this year to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. But I know that's been a focus internationally, but I want you to know Across North America, you are involved as you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As you give just in your regular offering, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program that supports these missionaries all across North America. And let me just drive it home close. Sometimes when we talk about these international missionaries or wherever, it's kind of hard to put a face with it. We've got so many, okay, we've got these unnamed people out there. That's why, to begin with, I wanted you to hear from me. Thank you. I'm your missionary Thank you. But you, as a church, Central, right here in Sanford, are very involved. Um, one of the churches that is... Um, so, this past year, we had 69 churches in Florida go through the Sin Network process to be sent out and planted in Florida this past year. 69 churches. Today, today... We have one launching right here uh, in Sanford, uh, Restoration Church Sanford. And uh, all of you may not know, but your church is very uh, involved in that as a, a key uh, sending uh, partner church there uh, with Pastor Arthur. Matter of fact, there's a, just a brief little word they want to say thank you to you as they are launching this morning uh, uh, at 1030 today. Good morning, Central Sanford. My name is Pastor Arthur Gonzalez. I am the lead pastor, elder, and church planter of Restoration Church of Sanford. And this is my lovely wife, Jessica Gonzalez. And we are so excited for this morning to launch into our community a new church, a Restoration Church of Sanford. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you, Central Sanford, uh, for being our Southern Baptist Sending Church. But more than that, being our partner, um, Ethan and, and the staff there have been so accommodating and generous and gracious to us with resources and, and even more than that, prayers. 
thank you for praying for us. We feel it. Um, they have been our strength. And we just ask that you would continue to pray this morning, that God would save, that God would beckon people to himself, that God would transform and restore. We are trusting Jesus when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're holding fast to the promise of Christ. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for your partnership in the gospel. We are better together. I believe that with all of my heart. So continue to pray for gospel advancement and kingdom expansion. We love you, Central, and we're so grateful for you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So thank you, Central, represent, Pastor Arthur, representative of uh, thousands of church planters all across North America, and you're a part of each of it. I want us to stop and pray for Pastor Arthur. At 10.30 this morning, Hamilton Elementary, they're going to be launching for the very first time. I texted him on the way here as I was driving. It's a little soupy outside today, but God knows. And he's going to have the right people there. Let's just stop and pray for them right now. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in uh, your faithfulness, your providence. Lord, thank you for how you're working Pastor Arthur's life and have brought him to this point and um, launching Restoration Church. And they've been tilling the ground for uh, the past year getting ready and, and Central's been able to come alongside and help and encourage. And Lord, I'm so grateful for this church. And, and I just take opportunity right now to pray for this church as, as um, has such a wonderful legacy. Um, but in time of transition, looking forward, Lord, just continue to provide for here. But Lord, we pause and pray right now and thank you, Pastor Arthur, as they launch this morning at 1030 at Hamilton Elementary. God, just uh, continue to build that team to make a lighthouse. Um, so many people here in this area that need to be reached with the gospel. We just pray you'd use them and bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So wanted you to hear, thank you. I wanted you to know why is it that we're, I mean, why is it important that we plant churches? Why is it important that you, you, you give to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering for international missions, Annie Armstrong for North American uh, uh, mission? Why do we need to plant churches everywhere uh, for everyone? It's because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's because He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to go, go find verse 29. We're going to look at... Uh, verse 29 is going to be our key verse this morning. It's a, it's a little verse, but man is it packed with theological truth. Now we're going to look at this verse... We're actually going to go to a few other passages, so keep your Bibles out this morning. If you're familiar with the old term sword drill, okay, I'm going to take you to a few different places today. Uh, but we're going to unpack uh, this verse, but let's read it together. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, by the way, this is John the Baptist. This is not John the Apostle who wrote uh, the, the, the gospel here, according to John. This is John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John said that, 
Every Jewish ear, every Hebrew listener heard something that really goes beyond just kind of what jumps out to you and me, our normal understanding. When we say, okay, he's the Lamb of God. We've heard that. That's good. That's great. But for them, they've been looking for the Lamb. Their parents had been looking for the Lamb. Their grandparents had been looking for their Lamb. Their grandparents' grandparents had been looking for the Lamb. And all the way back to the beginning, they had been looking for the Lamb. And it's a theme that's played throughout Scripture over and over. And so when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they wanted to know what he meant by that. What was, is he indeed talking about the promised one? So to help us understand the Hebrew mind, what they understood when they heard John say that, we're going to look at several different passages. So John chapter 1 verse 29, that's our key verse we're going to keep uh, and unpack today. But there's another verse right alongside that I want you to, uh, to, to, to keep in mind as we look at these other passages. And that's this verse, Hebrews 9, 22, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Hebrews 9, 22, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. So keep those two in mind. We're going to look at some passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. First, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Unpacking what was in the Hebrew mind as they heard John say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, this is where God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And He had given them everything that they needed. But Satan came and lied to them. Satan's still lying today. He's a liar and the father of lies. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. He gives us a choice. They chose to believe the lie and they chose to disobey. And as a result, when you get to Genesis chapter 3, you realize that Adam and Eve had become acutely aware of their sin and shame covered over them. And in that moment, they realized they were naked. Now, they were naked before, but they didn't uh, realize it in their innocence. But now, because of their sin, they became aware of it and were overcome with shame. Look at Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They were trying to cover their nakedness. They were trying to cover their shame, their sin. Now, I don't know what kind of seamstress Eve was, okay? I don't know what kind of outfit she made out of those fig leaves. I'm sure the ensemble she put together was special. I'm sure it was a a one-of-a-kind. It was spectacular. I'm sure they loved it, but it wasn't what God wanted them to have. The verse I really want you to notice is down in verse 21, Genesis 3. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and covered them and clothed them. 
It says, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He covered their sin. He covered their shame. Now the Bible doesn't specifically tell us where these skins came from, but the Talmud does. Again, we're trying to understand what was going on in the Hebrew mind when they uh, understood or when they heard John say this in the Jewish faith, two very important books. You've got the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the Talmud, the books of the Jewish teaching. And the Talmud says that these skins came from a lamb. And so if that's true, what we have here is the very first picture of God using a lamb to cover over our sin. Let me take you to another reference saying right here in Genesis, go to Genesis 22. Go to Genesis 22. Here's just another example of what was going through that Hebrew mind when they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Genesis 22... God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and go to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Um, Some of you are parents, even those of you who are not, you can understand the turmoil, the, the dilemma that he was in. Abraham was torn. He knew that he had heard from God. He knew that God told him to take his son and offer him as a sacrifice. But this is his dearly loved son and so he was torn. He knew that to, you know, to to disobey God would destroy that relationship and that covenant. But he also knew that to obey God would be to destroy his son, his, his promised heir. And so Genesis 22 tells us, Abraham got his servants together, the provisions, and he and Isaac made their way to Mount Moriah. Maybe along the way they stopped to cut wood that they were going to use for the fire at the altar. I can just imagine Abraham every time he took that axe to to cut wood for the fire. It was like that axe was just hammering uh, in his heart because he knew what he was going to do. He was going to sacrifice his son. Well, let's just pick it up in verse 3. Genesis 22 verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son and laid it on Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, the ceremonial knife and the two of them went together. Now, Isaac's pretty observant. Look at verse 7. But Isaac spoke up to Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood... But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? That's the question. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? It's the question the world has been asking from the very beginning. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? And that's why when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had been looking for the lamb. And John the Baptist said, here 
is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go back to verse 7 again, Genesis 22. But Isaac said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together and they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the altar. And he bound his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the ceremonial knife to, to slay his son. I can't imagine the agony that was, was going uh, on uh, in, in, in Abraham. And just as he was about to, to plunge the knife, verse 11 says, So the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham, stop. You don't need to do this. You just needed to know and, and so do we that God has a right to demand from us our, our very best. And the angel said, God just wanted to know that you'd be willing to be obedient to do anything and everything He told you to do. But stop. You don't have to do it. Pick it up in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. By the way, a ram is an adult male sheep. A lamb is one under one years old. And it says, so Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Why did Abraham do this? Because he understood without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, why did God kill that lamb to make a covering for Adam and Eve? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. Let me show you one other place in the Old Testament. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Passage very familiar to, to many of us. God told Moses to go back to Egypt. And Moses was to get God's people and take them, take them to Canaan, the promised land. Moses, you remember Moses and Pharaoh, they get involved in this tug of war. Moses would say, let my people go and God would send a plague and Pharaoh would give in. And then one of Pharaoh's magicians would do something similar. And Pharaoh would change his mind and, and wouldn't let the people go. And back and forth and back and forth and on and on it went. Finally, God said, this is what I'm going to do. This night, I'm going to send my death angel and any person who takes the blood of a spotless lamb and puts it over the doorpost, the door frame of his house, the death angel will know that you belong to me and the death angel will pass over your home. That's where the term for the Jewish Passover came from. But any home that did not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost the death angel would come and Scripture says God would kill the firstborn. The angel would come and kill the firstborn. Well, let's read exactly how the Bible says it. Exodus 12, pick it up in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night 
And I will, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Note here, it's not just the little boys. Both man, strike both man and beast. It's the animals too. The firstborn of both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why did God do that? Again, because without the shedding of blood, there, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. And so when John the Baptist said, here's Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, you've been looking. Here's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In that moment, a light began to come on and those people began to understand something. Now let me take you to a couple passages in the New Testament. Go all the way to uh, the end. Go to uh, the book of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but uh, the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Almost toward the end. 1 John chapter 1. Now if you've ever wondered, why the blood? Why the blood? We sing about it. We talk about it. What does the blood of Jesus do for you? Let me show you in just a couple of passages here. Uh, look at 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. What does the blood do for us? It cleanses us from all sin. You see, we've all got a sin problem. We've all got a sin problem. Sin has stained our lives. Truly, it's the root of all the problems in life. Sin. Death, illness, every, every issue we face in life finds its root in sin. Now, I'm not saying if you get a disease, it's because you personally sinned, that it's personal to you, and because you did something wrong, wham, God just strikes you with some disease. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is from the beginning, God made us to have a relationship with Him. And because mankind sinned in the beginning, disease and death and suffering, all of those things came as a result of sin. And sin has stained us. We've got a sin problem. And all the problems that we deal with in, 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 in life today have at their root a sin problem. Sin has stained us. But 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look down at verse 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. Let's go to another place. Go back to the left to the book of Ephesians. handful of pages to the left to the book of Ephesians. Find Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Friend, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that brings you near, that brings you into a relationship with the God who loves you so much. Blood of Jesus brings us near to God. You remember how back in the Old Testament that God was in the... um, God dwelt in the holy of holies in the temple. There was a place in the temple in the holy of holies. Now it was separated off from, from everything else where everybody else could get to. It was the, uh, it was the holy of holies. And, and just anybody couldn't go in there. Matter of fact, only one person one time a year could go in there. The high priest, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, he would get to go into the Holy of Holies. But everybody else was, was separated and had to stay outside the presence, the very presence of God. But you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible says that that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple where everybody else gathered. That veil was torn, making it possible for everyone to draw near to God. What's important for us to remember is that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two. And the Bible says something specifically that the veil was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top, something that man could do. It was torn from the top to the bottom, something that only God could do. And God tore that veil in two symbolically saying, I want to have a relationship with you. God wants to have a relationship with you. And the way we have a relationship with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, had Jesus not died on that cross, that veil would still be there. We would not have a relationship with God. But it is the blood of Jesus that makes it possible for us to be near to God. Now, let me take you to one last book as we finish this morning. Go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Revelation 12, 10. We all need to hear what this verse says. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Who's the accuser? It's Satan. It's the devil. And I got news for you. He's still accusing you. He'll crawl up on your shoulder before this day is over and tell you you've done something too bad that God could never forgive. He'll tell you you've gone too far, you've stayed too long, you've done too much for God to forgive you. You've been been too bad. He might forgive others, but but He'll never forgive you. He'll tell you that God doesn't love you. He'll tell you God may use some other people, but He'll he'll never never use you. you. He might tell you all kinds of things like that because He is the accuser of the brethren and He hates you. But go back and let's see what this passage says. Verse 10. Now the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. 
We have conquered the accuser through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, friend, when he accuses you, and when he tells you that God doesn't love you, that, that you don't have a place, that you can't be forgiven, that you can't be used, that there's no place on the other side of death, you claim, you plead the blood of Jesus because it is his blood that stops the accusation of the enemy. Now let's go to one last place, Revelation chapter 5. If you wanted to do some further study on your own, you could look at all the times throughout the book of Revelation where John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. It's, 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 it's a great study. 27 times and 25 verses in the book of Revelation. We don't have time to look at them all, but let's just notice here in Revelation chapter 5, and you're going to be blessed. Revelation 5 verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures... And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it has been slain. Who do you think it is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. Tonight you're going to have a praise service tonight. Why do you have a time of prayer and praise? Because he's worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us king and priest to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as that are in the sea. And all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Folks, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Hebrews 9 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no remission. As I think of all the passages that we've studied today, in my mind, I can, I, can, I can go back and envision some of the conversations that may have happened. Uh, we don't have time to, to turn back to it, but I think about that Exodus 22 passage that we read earlier on the Passover. Scripture doesn't specifically say this, but in my mind, I can just imagine the day that the, the death angel came. Pharaoh's little boy had been out playing with some of his friends that afternoon. He comes in and says, Daddy, do you know somebody named Moses? Pharaoh said, do I know Moses? Yeah, I, I know Moses. I've, I've had enough of him. The little boy said, well, Daddy, I've heard some of my friends say that Moses said, tonight a death angel's coming. Pharaoh said, yeah, son, that's, that's, that's what Moses said. Little boy replied, well, Daddy, I've heard that when the death angel comes, the, the firstborn of every house is, is going to die. And, and Daddy, I'm your firstborn. I, I don't want to die. What about me? 
I can, just, I can just imagine Pharaoh saying something like this. Son, don't worry about it. It's just Moses. He's a little crazy. And besides that, you're in the safest place on earth. You're here in the palace of the Pharaoh. Don't worry about it. I'll even put an extra set of guards around you tonight. You just go to bed. You don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to you. Sometime way over in the night, Pharaoh heard a scream. And he rushed to his son. And his son was gone. And Pharaoh learned without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. I don't know, but perhaps somewhere in the camp of the Hebrews, there was another conversation that happened like this. A little boy comes up and talks to his dad. Dad, did you hear what Moses said? Yeah, I heard what Moses said. Dad, I, I, I'm the firstborn and I, I'm scared. Well, son, I've done the best that I could do. Uh, we don't have a lamb that we can afford to, to sacrifice. And I don't, I, don't, I don't really think we need to kill it. I know that's what Moses said to do, but I don't think we really have to do that. I've taken one of our lambs and I've tied him to the doorpost. I think that'll be enough. God didn't say to do it that way, but I think this will be enough. I'm just going to tie the lamb to the doorpost and when the death angel comes, he'll know that we belong to God because I tied that lamb there and he'll pass over. Sometime way over in the night, that dear man heard a scream and he ran to his son and he understood that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of our sin. And then there was a little boy who came to his daddy and said, I heard what Moses said. Have you heard? Yes, son, I've, I've heard. Daddy, I'm the, I'm the firstborn. I know you are, son, and I love you with all my heart. Daddy, I'm scared. He said the firstborn's going to die. And I can hear his dad say, no, son. He didn't say the first. He, he said the firstborn is going to die unless the blood of the lamb is on the doorpost. And I envisioned that dad, that dad taking that son and said, let me show you something. And he takes him by the hand and leads him to the front of the house. And he said, son, I took the best lamb we had. The best one of our flock. The one without spot or blemish. And because you are my firstborn and I love you with all my heart, I sacrifice that lamb. I spread its blood uh, because that's what God said to do. And I spread his blood over that door frame of our house. Son, you go on to bed tonight and don't you worry about a thing because I've done exactly what God said to do. He did that because he realized without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. I'm not naive enough to think in a room this big with this many people that every person in this room or those listening right now, that every person has fully dedicated your life to Christ. Friend, you can hear what I'm saying and you can hear different ones say different things. Well, well, well Christians say this. Or this group says this, but this group says that. Or I'm a spiritual person. I think God's just going to accept me as I am. I, God's, God's loving. I don't really think I have to do it the way the Bible says to do it. I, I think I'll just do it my way. I don't think God will accept that. Friend, hear me. One day you're going to stand before God and you're not going to have any excuse. 
understand it clearly today, the Bible says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And without the shedding of His blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away my sin, your sin. If you've never given your life to Him by asking His shed blood to wash away your sin, do so today. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And if you are, let's recommit ourselves to taking His good news to a lost and dying world that needs to know. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for these dear people have been so faithful to listen to Your Word today. Lord, I thank You that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And I thank You, You didn't just leave it. And for us to find a way on our own, You provided the way. Jesus, You are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by You, You said. You were the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that has not asked for your shed blood to wash away their sin, that they would do so right now. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Just like Adam and Eve, I, I, I feel that, that shame of sin and separation. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for the cleansing. Thank you for loving me enough to provide a way to be saved. I give you my life. I turn myself over to you. Friend, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, if you'll do it right now, Jesus Christ will save you. And for those of us who are saved, let's recommit ourselves. Jesus is the only way. Let's recommit ourselves to taking His good news to the ends of the earth. Let's work.